Italian Wine Podcast. Chin Chin with Italian Wine People. Italian Wine Podcast, as Wine to Wine 2020 media partner, is proud to present a series of sessions chosen to highlight key themes and ideas and recorded during the two-day event held on November 23rd and 24th, 2020. Wine to Wine 2020 represented the first ever fully digital edition of the Business to Business Forum. Visit winetowine.net and make sure to attend future editions of Wine to Wine Business Forum. Good evening. My name is Felicity Carter. I'm the editor of Wine Biz- uh, Mining as Wine Business International, um, and or good morning to some of you. And we're here to talk about female leadership in the context of uh, recent bullying, sexual harassment, and uh, victimisation claims. And I would. I'm very pleased to introduce two amazing people to you. Rania Zayat is an advanced sommelier, a wine educator and gender advocate who founded the Wonder Women of Wine in the USA in 2018. It's a non-profit to advance women that involves networking and scholarship. And she's also founded the Be the Change job fair to encourage diversity in the industry. Uh, We also have Amelia Singer, who is well known as co-presenter of The Wine Show. She's also an award-winning wine writer. She's the UK ambassador for the California Wine Institute, and she runs a wine event and media business. She also is the recipient of the IWSC and WSCT Future 50 Award. So, um, right, we have had several conversations before we started this and we have an immense amount of talent on offer here and and things to talk about in only 20 minutes. So we'll get right into it. First of all, you're probably all aware of the New York Times' uh, Julia Moskin's expose of the Court of Masters Sommeliers and some fairly serious sexual harassment um, problems. Uh, This this, I want to make really clear, is not simply a problem of the Court of Master Sommeliers. After that article came out, I was contacted by a number of people in other countries who've also experienced everything from bullying to very severe and even criminal levels of sexual harassment. Um, the difference with the United States is that they have First Amendment protections, and so it's easier for them to talk about it in the media. Um, and some of the stories that I've heard don't rise to the, uh, the legal level that I would need to publish them but I want to be very clear that this is a widespread problem. So, um, so I want to start off by asking, Rania, can you talk about some of the initiatives you're involved in and why you started? Yes, um, absolutely. Well, first of all, thanks. It's very exciting to be here and to have a platform to discuss these, these issues and opportunities for change. Um, I started Wonder Woman of Wine in 2018 on the heels of the Me Too movement, which started um, in late 2017. And this happened to be around the same time that um, the 45th president was being elected to office in the United States. Um, so there was this uh, this sense of anxiety and discomfort um, that was really happening both within me um, and also within um, the, not specifically the wine industry, but just uh, women's movements in general. And I felt very anxious. Um, I had a lot of nervous energy and I really wanted to find a way to channel it for the greater good. And so I started reflecting on my own experiences within um, my time in the wine industry 
And uh, earlier that year in July, 2017, I had sat for my master sommelier theory exam for the first time and the last time. Um, And then when I walked away from that test, I knew that it would be the last time that I would choose to to sit in and participate in any court of master sommelier um, certifications. And so with all these things happening, I wanted to create a platform for women to not only feel celebrated in the wine industry for their contributions, but also feel empowered (coughs) and create a safe space for women to come together to talk about the issues that we were experiencing, that we've been experiencing, and also find a way to to channel that those conversations and create real, meaningful change um, in all sectors of the industry. So that extended beyond my experiences as sommelier, but to include the distribution world, to include the production side, retail, media. Um, and so I started a two-day conference, and um, it was a huge success for our first year. We had an amazing lineup of speakers. We were able to... Um, to work with uh, some other organizations to issue some incredible scholarships for women in the industry. And um, so we've since launched uh, a lot of different programs, including our allies webinar, Femme Friday weekly interviews with women. And we're planning our second, uh, well, what would it be our third conference, but our second conference uh, first March of 2021. Um, And Amelia, you wrote an absolutely fantastic piece about bullying in the buyer. Can you talk about um, what what brought you to write that and some of the responses that you had? Yeah, no, I... um, It's so sorry listening to Rania because I must admit, it's only really that when I've been actually trapped due to the travel bans in LA and witnessed this crazy year with this crazy president, with the BL movement, with the riots, and also LA just... It was a real epicenter too for the Me Too movement and all of my friends who are very switched on and socially engaged and, and, and that's what lots of our conversations are about, that it made me think, oh my goodness, there's so much change happening here. Lots of positive change as well as scary <laughs> transitions too. Um, I really just kind of wanted to act as a bridge when I suddenly saw these social injustices happening or social change and talking to people like Julia Coney and seeing the project she was doing and meeting people like Ranier, I was like, wow, wouldn't it be awesome to kind of act as a bridge between the US and the UK, where I very much feel the UK was in the kind of the fetal development of all this um, social change. And um, I think there are several incidents uh, which acted as a catalyst, which absolutely made me feel that I actually had a responsibility with my platform. Um, I knew lots of people were too scared to write anything. I knew lots of people thought they wouldn't be listened to. I wanted also just, I felt everyone was, was tired and exhausted. So I wanted to write a really constructive, positive uh, approach, like kind of approach focused article because everyone just kind of this year has been so exhausting. Um, and I also just kind of needed to reaffirm, like, no, there's a reason why I've been in this industry for 11 years. It's like plenty of good, um, but we it really calls for collective action if we want to see positive change. And so reading my article, I did kind of because I felt like I was safe by being here, kind of because I felt like I had the platform. Also, I just thought this is the right time now where people need to kind of be galvanized. And then I, I, what my real hope was that it would spark other people to come forward and encourage positive action. And already I've heard from Richard Siddle at The Buyer that he's had so many stories. He's had, um, he's heard from Latino women who set up the first kind of uh, 
a female support group here for Latino women in the wine industry. He's and who want to kind of talk about their stories, ha- heard about women in the vine. They've just announced their story in this week's The Buyer and they're calling for the UK people in the wine industry to sign a pledge to really help kind of make the wine industry a more inclusive and safe space for women. Um, and, and really, I've actually seen like a plethora of articles really come out in the last two weeks. Jancis Robinson probably is the most famous who's come out since the article. So I think for me, it was really just to get people talking, to get um, and also I, and also to get bodies to talk together. In my article, I, I mentioned how the Drinks Trust and the WSTA were already having discussions about creating some kind of collective platform. And I know that off the back of my article, it actually forced them to have those conversations a little bit quicker than maybe they were anticipating. So um, I just like saw it as me kind of like maybe stirring things up a bit and uh, in a positive, in a positive way. Can I ask both of you, one of the things that a lot of people get confused about is what harassment and sexual misconduct actually are. What's the difference between somebody just being a generally um, difficult personality or a tough person to work with or being a demanding person to work with or being complimentary and somebody who's being predatory, bullying or harassing? Um, Rania, what do you think? Um, yeah, I think that right now it's really interesting because I think a lot of these these issues they're they're getting the same sort of attention um, publicly. Uh, so somebody who maybe is experiencing some sort of bullying, um, bullying typically re- relates to some sort of harm that is either caused uh, physically, emotionally, psychologically. Um, by, you know, some sort of imbalance of power. And uh, for me, harassment um, is an extension of bullying, but it is really more targeted to somebody's protected class. So that same sort of harm, but is is being applied to somebody because of their gender or their race or their sexual orientation or some other form of, of class. Um, and so we see a lot of both, but uh, that's how I define them. Yeah. Amelia, what do you think? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, the Wine Industry and Equity Pledge, which has just been um, revised and sent around various companies in the US, they describe harassment and sexual harassment as like two things, quid pro quo, as in you're only going to be allowed into this arena or accepted if you accept social, yes, um, sexual favors or invites or whatever. But then there's also harassment, which is, as Rania was saying, targeted abuse due to one's gender, sexuality, race. Um, I I see them both forms of, of bullying. It's both basically someone abusing their position and it's an abuse of power uh, from someone make, like taking advantage of their position to someone who they want to deliberately uh, control someone else. Um, and I think what I, I think everyone's um, definitely caught Master Sommelier scandal. Everyone's focusing on sexual uh, harassment in terms of uh, sexual assaults, which is um, protected by the law. Whereas I think sometimes for me, like when it comes to bullying, which can include that, but also the psychological bullying, that for me is sometimes much more insidious because it's harder to prove. And I, I think there's sometimes people focus a lot on, on sexual harassment as opposed to kind of psychological systemic bullying. And I would argue that actually both can be destructive to an individual but one is slightly harder to prove definitely legally which therefore puts more of an onus on a company to come up with some kind of all-inclusive targeted pledge or code of conduct which makes it very very clear what and what is not acceptable 
Yeah, one of the one of the really interesting conversations, well, disturbing conversations that came out of Me Too, which I think also applies to bullying, is how many men and how many women who were unsympathetic believe that Me Too was about getting men um, because people had misunderstood their behaviour, that a man might give a compliment and a woman would get him for sexual assault. In actual fact, um, what... What usually happens in both bullying and sexual harassment is that something small is done because the person is predatory and is testing the boundaries and they want to see if the situation will let them get away with it. And those very small things can actually lead to very big things. Um, I think you've both got examples of small things that that got out of control. Rania, what, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think that's very valid. And it always reminds me of this, you know, conversation about microaggressions and how, you know, those those small paper cuts over time can really lead to a significant injury um, for somebody. And so, for instance, with my um, with my case with uh, the court of master sommeliers, I was um, messaged privately messaged by a um, very prominent figure uh, in the court who was basically complimenting a photo of mine that I had posted on Facebook or Instagram. And, um, you know, what started off as a casual compliment eventually led to this person trying to coerce me into having sex with them um, on multiple occasions in different cities whenever I was traveling for... um, Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, I'm sorry to break you in the middle of such an awful thing, but I'm curious, was there something about that original message that was off that to you looked different to just a normal compliment? Um, yes, I, I was. I had interacted with this person um, face-to-face uh, prior to this message, and I was still very young in my, my wine career, but I, I had put a lot of work into uh, what I was doing and studying. And so initially when this person approached me in person, Um, I I thought that I was honestly being recognized for um, the work that I had been doing. And so I was confused whenever I got a a message that was um, basically pertaining to my physical appearance. And it sort of made me question um, any positive attention I had ever received uh, for for being a wine professional, um, questioning somebody's motives. And so I just thought it was interesting that this person who is such a prominent figure that there were, were no guidelines or, eth- co- you know, code of ethics or anything in place that would prevent this sort of interaction from happening. Um, and I didn't see it for what it was at the time, which was, was predatory behavior. Um, because I know that this has occurred with many young women with this particular individual. That's a, that's an, uh, it's a shocking story. Um, Amelia, you've got stories as well about about things that started small and then they they actually proved to be symbolic of a much more serious problem. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, I mean, definitely one of the examples, um, and I state this in my article, I, you know, it's very clear to say that bullying and harassment, it's, it's not just a gender thing. I mean, some of the worst bullies I've encountered have been women. And in terms of psychological bullying, women are can be supreme at that. And unfortunately, my first job in the industry, I met someone who was so charming on first meeting. I mean, actually all buddy-buddy, which now I know is a warning sign. When someone gives you too much personal information as being buddy-buddy, too soon that's a warning sign um and it was just started off as little things like it was a very small team 
2009. They were very stretched. So my role kind of composed of two roles, which they molded into one. They'd never really done that before. And I was really wanting to impress. And, you know, you're on very little pay when you enter the wine industry and junior roles. And I was working all kinds of hours. Um, was, would ask for help. She'd act like it was too much, you know, too, you know, I was stupid if I had to ask for help and that, you know, not to bother her. And you know, it was a lean team and I needed to prove my place. Um, she, like, if I ever did a typo, she would send it around the office. She would laugh at me. She would never, um, I would be running the portfolio tastings and things for that company. She never, ever said thank you. She would accept praise, never. She would comment on the one bottle which didn't arrive out of 600 from around the world for a portfolio tasting. And that would be the one bit of feedback I'd get an event um i have a lactose problem so i can't have dairy but when we go out with clients she'd hiss at me you eat everything on your plate you know you don't complain you know and so i remember one trip going to france and being up all night because she'd insisted that i ate everything and eventually it just got to the point where um i got so ill and i was so anxious and i'd lost all this weight and i it was on it was like the company last day of work before christmas and i'd organized the company party and we were doing our marketing meeting first and I had to leave to be sick and I had to get a taxi to a doctor and I called up the girl like the junior person behind me um, sorry above me just being like can you make sure the Christmas party is okay and and I saw the doctor and the doctor said you can't go back to work I said please just grant me half a day please just grant me half a day I can't leave this company you know my life won't be worth living if I'm not there and I called her up on her mobile she's like where are you and I'm like oh I'm at, I'm at the hospital but I, I think I can come in for half a day she's like well you shouldn't bother I don't need any broken soldiers around me and that was like, <laughs> that was like a slight, also, I let it get too far, but I was young. I was, I wanted to, you know, I was impressionable. I really wanted to do a good job. I was 22 and I really felt like I was letting the company down. And I, I would say just to anyone who's that young, like red flags would be if someone's super charming to you right from getting stay away like or like just be a bit kind of mm, boundaries that's important number two if they're super charming to anyone like this person would be extremely charming to people of influence or power but then would treat her employees terribly it was very two-faced behavior um what was very telling too was on my last day I just had to leave my doctor said I had to I'd gone through four different courses of antibiotics and was losing hair and my weight and my doctor was like you need to leave this job and on my last day she wasn't there and it was only then that everyone in the office rallied like came to me and said oh by the way we've gone through about six or seven people in your position in the last six months and two of them have threatened to sue the company for bullying but it was only then because two, people were too scared and that's another form of bullying when everyone else that's yeah. Um, we're, we're going through this at a super fast rate because there's there's so much to talk about. I mean, all of these stories we should actually be slowing down and spending more time on. But this comes to the point about dysfunctional organisations is usually where bad things begin to happen. I remember years ago going to a sexual harassment training seminar, which we all laughed at the name, but I remember the guy saying that he didn't see sexual harassment in companies where people liked each other and it starts with management, whereas it, it, places where people were insecure and at each other throats, particularly in sales environments, would often end up with harassment. Rania, you was talking about the fact that the Court of Master Sommeliers was set up in a very dysfunctional way, that almost it was almost guaranteed that it was going to have these sorts of problems. Can you talk about that? Yes, absolutely. I mean, uh, it's so important how we are building our organizations moving forward. Um, and one of the biggest issues that I've always found within the court specifically is a lack of transparency. Um, and that lack of transparency extends beyond, um, you know, the, the testing scenario, uh, which obviously is like the, prim the premier focus of the court. 
but it, it, it leads into who, who is in charge of, of managing sort of these, these expectations, who's in charge of setting up, you know, ethics, who's in charge of leading some sort of HR departments um, so that members feel that there is a formal course for them to, to take whenever they are faced with some sort of issue like this. Um, and so I think that what we really need to see moving forward and this is not for the court. I think that the court is is hopefully going to become obsolete at some point in the near future. Um, but we really need to, to have a focus on diversity, equity, and inclusion in all companies and in all organizations. And that means that not only are we seeking out diverse people, but we are creating inclusive environments for them. They were providing them with the resources they need to thrive and to feel valued and respected and appreciated in their organizations and within their, you know, within their companies. Um, and I think that until we can, until we can get to that place, um, you know, we, we have to stop putting the, the ownership on the individuals to come forward. We really need to put more pressure on the leaders in our industry to build safer, safer places. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of people in the, which is, I agree. There's a lot of people in the industry, though, who are freelancers who are outside any kind of structures that can help them. One of the things that's been happening in the writing community amongst freelance writers in the last few months, um, actually in the light of Black Lives Matters, is people have begun sharing their um, salary information. They've been sharing their freelance rates and they've been warning each other about publications and editors that don't pay and problems. What do you think about the idea of, um, I mean, Rani, you've actually set up a forum that lets people do that. Um, do you think think that something like Wonder Woman of Wine or, or similar things in other countries could play that kind of role of information exchange? I, I definitely I definitely do. I mean, I think that there is an opportunity to create sort of this a, a formal exchange of information, but I also think that we just need to start being more comfortable having these conversations amongst yeah. each other in smaller groups and normalize those conversations because I think we're still very hesitant to talk about pay and benefits um, because we feel like there's only so much that can go around and not everyone is going to have access to that. Um, but I think that once we start setting expectations, it's hard for it's hard for especially for women who are who you know have have proven in one of our um, gender equality studies said that they don't really understand their path to to advancement. Uh, they don't feel comfortable negotiating, um, in you know compared to men. And I think that we need the tools to know how to negotiate. And one of those tools is knowing what the sort of the standard yeah. standard pay and rate is for the work that we're doing. Otherwise, and, and knowing who else around us is making more or making less. I mean, how can we negotiate for something higher if we don't know what we don't know what our peers are are making? I think that's super important. And in the time that we've got left, I want to talk about the role of alcohol. I mean, we work with alcohol. And um, some of the stories that I've heard about young women being used as sales staff um, late at night with older male clients where the companies who employ them know that there will be alcohol there. And if trouble happens, the, the victim can say nothing because she was consuming alcohol. <clears throat> From both of you, what sort of guardrails do you think we need to put in place to protect people from the fact that this is an, this can be an inherently abusive industry if people want to make it so because of the alcohol involved? I'll start with you, Amelia. I mean, a practical, I mean, this is, again, you don't want to be totally totalitarian about it, but a practical way would actually be instead of doing tastings and dinners, to do something around a lunchtime. I often find like lunch wine tastings and things tend to be, you know, it's daylight, people don't imbibe as much, 
people can then still go home to their families in the evening. Um, so even just like simple practical things like that. I also, um, I, I do think that if people had a safe place to go, like someone's just asked in the in the chat, you know, where can one go if one feels that one's bullied or being harassed or taken advantage of? And that's what I really call for my article, kind of a collective platform with a diverse board of members where people would be offered um, counselling, mentoring, they get be able to get legal advice and have those kind of resources. They can have access to HR resources, as well as, of course, networking opportunities and, of course, funding for education and that kind of thing. Um, but uh, And also maybe by subscribing getting their teams to subscribe to a monthly kind of session with um, a balanced glass or, um, oh my gosh, I'm now just suddenly having a mind blank on that San Francisco-based um, organization, which is all about mindful drinking. Um, it's a balanced glass, I think. Oh, oh, yeah. And then, and yeah, and there's drink aware, obviously, in, in the UK. But because what I love about at least a balanced glass is it looks at it in a kind of lifestyle, holistic, cultured way, like just by you know having a healthy relationship with drinking it's not just a trend it's like that's just how you're going to do better business that's just how you're going to be a happier person so maybe in the code of conduct actually making everyone subscribe to that and having monthly team sessions with a body like that um just keeping everyone mindful and engaged and yeah i've just i've just had a question in the chat about do you think we should teach young women and professionals how to react um to this environment i actually think um you know this is an ancient question about you know how to get women to change their behaviors rather than predatory men i think in this situation um something that a balanced glass or uh, rebecca a balanced glass talks about is it's actually the role of the company to put guardrails up that companies should have very very clear alcohol policies about how much people can consume and and they should have breathalysers on hand so that people are aware of their own drinking so that at no time um, can people use alcohol consumption as an excuse for their bad behaviour um, because they were told not to consume that much. Um, Rania, what, what are your thoughts on this? I think that that is a really great place to start for sure. I mean, so many of these interactions happen um, late at night. For instance, you know, I, I'm in the hospitality industry and I know that there are a lot of people that um, don't have the opportunity to taste or meet up in the evenings during normal hours because they're starting their shift at four o'clock and getting off at midnight. Um, so I think that anytime anyone is traveling, um, you know, a producer, a supplier, anything um, on the company's dollar, they should absolutely be monitored um, by the company as far as, you know, how much they're drinking, where they're going out, um, who's who's with them um, so that there are, you know, there's some sort of documentation for that. But I also think the bigger problem, and this is something that has been happening since, you know, the Roman and the Greeks, is, is offering women the same sort of um, ability to consume alcohol without judgment in the way that we offer men and how we often give men you know, these excuses and these passes for saying, oh, dismissing their behavior because they had been drinking. But as soon as a woman comes forward with some sort of story about being harassed, then it then it's a problem that she's been drinking and then she's not believable. Um, and so we really have to change that narrative and, and give women more credit and respect um, that they deserve. And that includes when, when we've had a couple of drinks because we work in this industry and unfortunately alcohol is a rampant problem that is going to continue um, so long as we continue drinking, which I don't think is going to stop anytime soon. 
Okay, just in, we've got a couple of minutes left. I want to talk about two things very quickly. Um, just to summarise, one thing that abusers often do, and this is from domestic violence research, is people often apologise profusely, repeatedly. Um, and the second thing is that what abusers often do is try and silence victims, which is either telling them it was just to stay silent or actually, in the case of a company, getting them to sign non-disclosure agreements. Um, and if you find either of those behaviours, you're probably in the presence of somebody abusive or a company that's abusive. I'm going to throw this one to you, Amelia. What do you think? Oh, yes. Silence. Um, absolutely. I've had um, both of those addressed at me from, from people who are, it's an absolute abuse of power um, and it's a bullying tactic. And I, I think this is, again, when um, I actually have a group every single week, I talk to a bunch of freelancers um, in the UK and talking about transparency, because yes, of course, it's important to know about pay. But it's also important to know what your rights are and what happens to you if you want to write about something, if you want to communicate about something, if you want to do a, a positive change for good. And if, some, you know, if something like that happens, what are the reasons, you know, it's, we're kind of pulling together ideas, lawyers, resources together just to know what are our rights? Because it's really, really hard. And, and freelancers really are probably the, one of the most vulnerable groups in the industry. And uh, so actually right now together, I'm working with this collection of people just seeing if we can add on maybe a wing to this diverse platform, which the Drinks Trust is commu um, making with WSTA. So, no, silencing that abuse of power, it's, it's a very real pervasive, such an anxiety inducing thing um and it needs to be addressed very seriously I, I just something has come through on the chat um and this is something that i raised right at the beginning this idea of young male professionals who are worried about dealing with their female colleagues because they they think that um you know ordinary innocuous behavior might be misunderstood as predatory behavior and can all of these discussions result in women being cancelled from wine um first of all no, because women are rapidly becoming the biggest um, consumers of wine, so it would be madness to cut women out of wine. And secondly, I, I just think want to come back to this earlier point that predatory behaviour is a very different thing from somebody who's being awkward or has misunderstood or, or is whatever. In fact, there's a lot of research from um, uh, rape on campus in the in the US that predatory behaviour is actually involved with about um, a very small minority of people. It's about four percent, and if they've done it once, they will do it again. The biggest flag isn't that somebody has done something discourteous. It's that they have multiple times they have done it to different people. And this is one of the reasons why it's really important that people talk to one another so that people can understand that it's a pattern of predatory behaviour, not, uh, not a, not a one-off sort of... Well, I think, I, think we're, I think we're all adults and we understand the difference between somebody being nice but a bit awkward and somebody who's something else. Rania, we've got one minute left. I'm going to give the last word to you. How well would you like to wrap up and what would you like to say? Um, yeah, I would just say, I just like to bring it back to this idea of cancel culture and um, people being canceled for, you know, sort of minor offenses. I think that we as a community, if we want to grow and become stronger and build um, a better future for younger professionals, I think we need to give each other the opportunity to, to learn from our mistakes, to not only apologize, but to acknowledge them um, and to, to take that um, apology and apply action to it and actually do the work. Um, cause it's not just about saying you're sorry about something that you've done. It's about how you're going to apply that lesson to future opportunities to do better. Um, and I think that, uh, that's, that's an important component of moving forward and building, building a better wine industry. 
Right. We've covered in half an hour a topic that really is a two-day seminar, and I am so privileged to have um, spoken with these two absolutely amazing women who are doing groundbreaking things in the wine industry, and I hope that they will continue the conversation and you will all come and listen to it because they're both really impressive individuals. Um, And on that note, I would like to thank everybody for tuning in and listening, and I'd like to thank Rania and I'd like to thank Amelia for your amazing contributions to this discussion. Mm -hmm. Thank, Thank you for the opportunity. Wonderful, wonderful moderator and, and interviewer. Very impressive. Very impressive for 30 minutes. You know what I'm going to go and do now? I'm going to go and do alcohol now. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds amazing. Thank All right. You. Thank you very much, everybody. It's been great. Bye bye. Listen to the Italian Wine Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We're on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Himalaya FM, and more. Don't forget to subscribe and rate the show. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production, and publication costs. Until next time, cin cin.